It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And welcome back to Decal Download. I'm Reg Griffin, Chief Communications Officer here at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning, along with Commissioner Amy Jacobs. Well, while parents are at work, many of Georgia's children spend time in after-school programs. These programs offer a safe and supportive environment with structured activities and good nutrition. As schools begin to reopen with in-person and virtual learning options, after-school programs are also developing plans to successfully and safely welcome back students. And Commissioner, on this episode of Decal Download, we thought we would take a look at those plans for going back to school. Yes, after-school programs are such an important uh, benefit for parents um, that do have to work so their children will have somewhere to go after school safely. And uh, another thing we'll talk about during this podcast um, is the nutrition component, which a lot of folks, I think, may not know about that, um, something that is offered through DECAL and the USDA. Absolutely. Something we want to take advantage of and uh, highlight on this episode of Decal Download. We're happy to have uh, joining us Katie Landis, the director of the Georgia Statewide After School Network. She's going to join us today to talk about how these critical after school programs are preparing to restart operations. Crucial timing. And Tamika Boone is here, Decal's uh, director of nutrition services. She'll talk about how many of these after-school programs can add a nutritional component to ensure that our most vulnerable children have access to the nutrition they need to thrive. Tamika and Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Katie, let's start with you. The Georgia State After School Network is dedicated to advancing, connecting, and supporting quality after-school programs for children. Fortunately, schools and after-school programs will be reopening soon. What are you hearing from after-school professionals, and, and how are programs planning to operate this school year? Yeah, during recent conversations with a number of after-school providers from across the state, Really, the overwhelming feeling that we're hearing is pride. A lot of these programs have been providing services since the spring, many in person, some in the virtual space, and some are doing both. They are just incredibly proud of how they have stepped up during this time, their adaptability, and their innovations to support families and youth. In terms of looking forward to the school year, um, there's really going to be a wide variety of what programming will look like. We're hearing that some programs are planning to match their school districts model um, from the community that they're in, while others are trying to find ways to meet the diverse needs of families. I expect that you'll see some programs shifting their models to serve school-age children during the school day in communities where schools will not be opening in person. Uh, Not all families, as we know, will need this type of care, but there are parents that are continuing to return to in-person work. And so programs are really spending the time to think about how they can open their doors to these young people to help to connect them to the distance learning, while also providing the enriching activities and connecting them to important services. Also, I, will think you, I, I do think you will see some programs continuing to serve in the virtual space um, with a, a number of different services they might offer there. 
Katie, there are so many benefits an after-school program offers to children of working parents. These programs are really critical to a child's well-being. What are some ways these programs can offer support to families, communities, and schools during the coming months? Yeah. Um, Again, I I just want to say I'm really proud of the way that so many programs across Georgia have found innovative solutions to meeting youth and family needs over the last several months. Um, I fully expect to continue to see the after-school field adapting and finding these creative solutions to new problems. Uh, One big area of support is what I already mentioned, that in communities where school is coming back virtually, programs who typically only serve during the after-school hours, they're currently finding ways to shift their model so they can open their doors during the school day and support those kids. Again, not just connecting them to distance learning, but also offering the engaging youth development activities that they that they typically do best. And whether the programs are open or virtual, supporting kids in their learning is always a space where these programs can support schools. Um, we've seen in the virtual space programs kind of, you know, add on to what was happening during the school day in the spring. And we'll expect to see this in the fall as well, where they come on in the afternoons to help to support kids with um whether it's in person or virtual learning that they had during the day to help, you know, to really um, help support some of those concepts that they were going over in the school day. Um, But this is definitely not the only way that programs have been serving families. I know you'll hear more about this from Tamika, but meals is another big one. We saw so many of these after-school programs work hand-in-hand with schools this past spring to deliver meals to students and families, and many more are offering meals during summer months as well. Uh, I really expect and hope to see this continuing and really hope that we can even see more programs stepping up and working in this space in the fall. Another major area is the social emotional needs of youth. Positive relationships are a real strength of so many after school and summer learning programs. And these professionals have found creative ways to continue checking in on and supporting youth. This has looked like um, virtual well checks and mentoring all the way to online dance parties and what some programs are calling club Zoom. Um, Programs are really doing great work and giving kids, one, the space they need to stay engaged with peers and caring adults, as well as then really providing and connecting to behavioral health services for those kids who need that additional support. And then overall, I really think this is a time where we need innovative partnerships and solutions to meet really the many and diverse needs of youth and families. And after-school programs have done a great job over the past couple months showing that they can be a great partner in this work. And there are so many that stand ready to support youth however they can this fall. They're really just waiting and searching and thinking about what are the best ways they can step in and meet those needs. I don't know. I think uh, we may need a club Zoom every now and then. That sounds like a great idea to me. Um you know, Katie, we basically have used this podcast uh, since March to document a lot of the impact of the pandemic on early childhood education here in Georgia. Uh, no doubt that uh, it has temporarily changed the way after school programs provide services to Georgia's children. But what are some of the challenges the after school programs specifically uh, are facing this upcoming school year? Yeah, I, the, the challenges largely probably aren't that different than what you're seeing in the broader childcare space. But, you know, it has to be mentioned that all this great work I was just talking about, it is absolutely not without really significant challenges to these programs and to the professionals. Um, the, our partners, our national partners, the After School Alliance, they recently released a report 
that shows that 88% of after-school providers across the country are concerned about the long-term funding of their program and their program's future. And 60% were specifically concerned that they may have to permanently close the doors of their program. Um, a lot of the work that I just mentioned uh, earlier really comes with increased costs. And at a time when many programs are also seeing decreased revenues, it is an undeniably hard spot for a lot of these programs. Um, in R and GSAN's conversations with providers, some of the main challenges that we're hearing are, um, one, really the access to and the cost of PPE and cleaning supplies. Uh, this is obviously a cost that no school district, no child care center, no after school program budgeted for earlier this year. Um, so just figuring out how they access that and how they cover the funding for that. Um, then for, especially as we're getting into the fall and programs thinking about how they support the distance learning, the access to um, and the quality of the technology and the internet that they have in their space. Never before has, you know, high speed Wi-Fi been as significant, significant of a concern to a lot of after school providers um, who may not typically be doing screen based learning in their center. Um, now it may be a big part of their programming. There's also questions about future enrollment. Uh, you know, knowing that there is demand from some families who will need in-person care, but still there's a lot of lingering questions around if they open their doors, how many kids will actually come? And will there be consistent enrollment, which obviously, you know, impacts a lot of their staffing decisions. Um, transportation is a big challenge that we hear as well. And the last one I want to mention really is space, um, both in terms of having access to and control of their space. You know, many after-school programs operate within a facility owned and operated by another entity, whether that's a school, a church, or a local community building. And they may not have the ability to um, change some of their structures or even decide whether or not they are open. Um, and then the other piece with space is simply have, making sure that they have enough and the appropriate space to allow for social distancing guidelines. Um, again, we really continue to see creative solutions around a lot of these challenges, but it, it is absolutely a really hard time for a lot of these programs. So, Katie, parents are understandably concerned about their children's safety during the school year. In your opinion, do, do you think it's safe to send their children to an after-school program? That's a really great question and something I personally am always thinking about as a parent to two young children myself. Um, as y'all know, in childcare, there are, of course, risks with any in-person programming right now, but there are also many thoughtful and smart precautions that programs have been putting in place. Uh, I mean, I will just say that a first step in this is really the great guidance that programs have been using and relying on from DECAL. Uh, I know so many programs, the checklist that y'all um, that you have put out have been a fantastic resource to them. But then beyond these safety precautions, you know, including the temperature temperature and well checks, as well as the contact list, drop off and pick up and sanitizing practices. Uh, many programs are spending a really considerable amount of time preparing their staff and facilities for reopening. We've heard about increased training for staff, redesigning their spaces, including adding no touch hand sanitizer, partitions within their lobbies and more defined spaces, um, as well as smaller group sizes. Uh, as always, I really highly recommend all parents talk with your child's program about the safety practices they are putting in place when making these tough personal decisions. And, you know, but then it's also worth mentioning that 
the programs, they're taking this really seriously. And that is why you will still see some programs are opening up for in-person where some are still continuing to, to serve in the virtual space. They're really taking the time, um, thoughtful consideration to map out what are the requirements, what the best practices are, and if they have the capacity to do that. And so you'll see those that are opening are taking this very seriously. You know, I think communication is the key. And if uh, parents have any questions or concerns, don't keep those to yourself. Uh, You want to share those with the program because you may actually uh, help address a concern that other families have as well. So um, definitely uh, keep the lines of communication open with your providers. Uh, Tamika, the after-school programs certainly provide a much-needed service to our communities. Not only do they give children a safe place to go after school, uh, but many programs provide nutritious meals and snacks to fill that hunger gap after the school day ends. There is an opportunity for eligible after-school programs to receive reimbursement through the USDA when they participate in the at-risk after-school meals, a component of the CACFP. Tell us more about that program. Sure, Reg. It's exactly what you mentioned. It's a program that's funded by the U.S. Department of Agriculture as part of their child and adult care food program. And it essentially provides financial reimbursement to these after-school programs that are serving healthy and nutritious meals and snacks to children and teens who are residing in low-income areas. And so basically meals that are served to children and teens who are 18 years old and younger that are participating in some type of educational or enrichment programming, those meals are eligible for reimbursement through this program. And so these programs, they typically operate after the school day ends, that they also can operate on the weekends or even during school holidays through the school year when school is not in session. And so it's meant to kind of capture the kids When they're outside of school, they normally receive meals when they're in school. But the question is, when they aren't in school, who's providing um, the healthy, nutritious meals and who's ensuring that they continue the educational enrichment programming that they need? And that's where this program um, steps in and is so critical. And so, again, it's funded by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. But Georgia DECAL's role um, in this program is making sure that we're raising awareness around the state, making sure that families and their providers know that this program and services available to them. We also provide training to participants and technical assistance. We process their applications. We're the group that issues payments to the participants um, in the program. And we also provide some compliance monitoring for the at-risk after-school program as well. Well, after-school programs are especially valuable for parents who need after-school care for their children. And then adding this nutritional component to these programs really gives a child the extra nourishment he or she needs after the school day ends. What type of organizations are eligible to participate in the at-risk after-school meals program? And what are some of the requirements, Tamika? Yeah, you know, first I'll, I'll mention that I think the most important requirement is that the programs have to be serving nutritionally balanced meals and snacks that are meeting USDA's nutrition standards. And so we want to make sure that while the kids are in care, they're not just getting junk, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, We want to make sure that they're well balanced with milk and meat and meat alternates and lots of fruits and vegetables and breads and grains. And so that's first and foremost, the, 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 the most important requirement. The types of groups that we work with are schools, both public and not, excuse me, public and private, we work with city and county governments. We work with private nonprofit organizations. 
we also uh, participate um, with for-profit centers. And so let's say you have a for-profit child care center that already participates in our traditional CACFP program for non-school age children. If that center's traditional CACFP program has at least 25% of the children who are enrolled that qualify for free and reduced uh, price meals, then that for-profit center may also be eligible to participate in the at-risk after-school program for the school-age children. So you have some centers that operate a traditional program and then they have an after-school program. And so while we deal a lot with nonprofits, there is an opportunity for some for-profit centers to participate. Again, if they're serving a significant number of children who qualify for free and reduced price meals. And another important part of the program is the program is intended to meet, again, the, the children who need it the most, right? And so the at-risk after-school program has to be located in an area where at least half the children in that school attendance zone qualify for free and reduced price meals. And so we have a lot of programs that participate um, that are actually located in schools themselves and libraries and community centers, rec centers, different types of places, as long as that attendant, that school attendance zone area has a, at least 50% of the children who qualify for free and reduced price meals. And as I mentioned earlier, the at-risk after-school program not only has to provide healthy meals, but they also have to provide some type of education or enrichment programming. And so there aren't any type of specific requirements the USDA says, the types of activities that have to be conducted. But some examples that are acceptable include, you know, arts and crafts, or you can do some homework assistance and tutoring with the children, or even we have some programs that offer life skills uh, classes and programming. And so it's, it's really left up to the organization to decide what type of educational enrichment program, programming that they offer. But as long as it's meeting the, the needs of the children in, a, in, a, in an important and substantial way. And uh, one other thing that I'll mention is that it's really important that um, organizations that are interested in the at-risk after-school program know that in order to participate, you either have to be licensed by DECAL's uh, Child Care Services Unit or have an exemption through that unit. So that's the only way that we'll be able to um, approve you to participate in Georgia is, again, if you're licensed or you already have an exemption through our DECAL CCS unit. And I guess the last thing I'll mention is, you know, I mentioned about the educational enrichment programming um, that children come together and they and they consume the meals. And, you know, with COVID-19, kind of Katie outlined a lot of the challenges and the concerns regarding COVID-19 right now. And so USDA does have some waivers that are available for programs to utilize, um, such as a parent pickup. So the parent can uh, come to the location and they can pick up the meals and take it back home to their eligible children or they can um, come and pick up the meals, the child can come and pick up the meals themselves. So essentially ways to sort of mitigate some of the risk of children coming together. And so now organizations or programs are having to still provide the educational enrichment programming, but they can get creative such as um, offering some type of a one pager sheet that they can include in the, in the food packet or in the sack lunch or whatever it is. And so the program is being flexible and realizing that there are unique challenges that make the program difficult to operate as it normally has been. So I just wanted um, listeners to know that there are waivers and flexibilities in place that allow um, for children to still have access to the meal, still have access to the educational programming, but still mitigate some of the risks associated with COVID-19 right now. 
So if anyone is listening and you're interested in becoming a part of this, organizations can participate in at-risk after-school meals as an independent after-school program or through a sponsor. And, and Tamika, what is the difference between these two roles? Well, sure. So a sponsor essentially signed an agreement with us, with Georgia Decal, and they're responsible for overseeing the program at potentially several different sites. So they have ultimate responsibility for all those various sites that are running the after-school programs under their umbrella. And in those cases, we provide reimbursement directly to those sponsors to help cover the administrative and operating cost of preparing and serving the meals through the program at all those various sites. And so that's one way that a center can participate is under the umbrella of a sponsoring organization that's already approved in our program. But you don't necessarily have to participate under a sponsor. We do have centers, as you mentioned, that are independent. And so they are in direct agreement with us and not working with a sponsor. They work with us directly. They attend our training. Um, they operate as an independent center. We pay them directly and they're responsible just for their one location. And so basically, as you mentioned, you can operate under a sponsor or you can operate independently. You have that choice. So it's my understanding that after-school organizations can apply for the at-risk after-school meals component at any point during the year. If a program is eligible and interested in enrolling before the school year begins, how can they get started? Well, I think, as I mentioned before, the first thing that that centers would want to do or programs would want to do is to ensure that they either have a license through the child care services unit at DECAL or that they have that uh, exemption through CCS. So we won't be able to um, get the process started until you first have that license or exemption. And then once you have that, you contact us and you would attend a training um, and we would train you on all of the various requirements uh, to operate the program and to ensure that you're ready and prepared to do so successfully and so our next training is actually next week, August 5th and August 6th. And then we have another training on October 7th and 8th. And so if there are any uh, any organizations that are interested in attending training, please just contact Leslie Truman at 404-657-1779. Again, that's Leslie Truman, 404-657-1779, and she can get you registered for training. All right. Lots of great information today. And uh, again, uh, how many times have we heard the term uncharted waters? That's what we're headed into with uh, our after-school programs. But, but there is a plan. Uh, we are coming back together and uh, everyone working together under different uh, models uh, to serve Georgia's children. And uh, we're excited about that. Katie and Tamika, thank you again for being with us today. Uh, some valuable information about the after-school programs and at-risk after-school meals. I know that these programs give working parents peace of mind, uh, knowing that their child is not only being well cared for, but uh, also thriving because of the support structure and nutrition they offer. So with that, we wish you both uh, all the best as we roll out the plan for the fall. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Now your questions from the water cooler. Good afternoon, Commissioner Jacobs. This is Judy Brassingame with the Pre-K Division here in Rome, Georgia this afternoon. I was wondering how your children are handling wearing masks. My 8- and 10-year-old grandchildren are not comfortable wearing the mask in this summer heat, nor are they comfortable seeing other people wearing masks. 
Could you tell us how you're handling this issue in your home? Thanks, Judy, for your question. Um, I can understand masks are different for all of us, uh, for sure. And they definitely take a lot of getting used to. Uh, My children, who are 7 and 11, uh, were definitely not happy about the thought of that at first. But we talked about it and uh, the benefits, we believe, outweighed the the, uh, point of being a little bit uncomfortable. And I, I really think if you breathe through your nose and not your mouth, it's not quite as hot. Uh, we just, um, went up to Michigan for, um, a family memorial service. And so we had to wear our mask at the airport and on the airplane, uh, for about eight hours at a time. And when you do it for that long, you really get used to it. Um, so it definitely takes a little bit of getting used to, um, but I think it's worth it. And, uh, I think if we can model good behavior and wearing our mask, uh, hopefully we'll all get used to it until we don't have to wear them anymore. How did that go? I mean, did the kids handle it okay? And what was the general mood on the plane? I'm curious about life under COVID-19 on you know, planes. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone had on a mask. Um, you know, they made the announcement that that's a requirement. You had to wear it as soon as you entered the airport and you had to wear it the entire time, of course, unless you were eating or drinking something. And they had masks for you if you didn't have one. Um, but I didn't see anyone have to be reminded to put their mask on. Um, everybody just seemed to kind of just be dealing with it. I guess right Mm. now it's the new normal, um, for us. So get a pretty mask and I guess just get used to it at this point. Yeah. Just uh, be styling and uh, and find something, your, your favorite mascot, sports team, whatever. That's That's uh, right. Yeah. Get on board. Hey, um, I also know from following you on social media that, uh, there was a lot of water skiing going on up there (laughs) and, and the kids, uh, what's the update on, uh, on water ski school? I think you called it. <laughs> yeah, it was a ski school. So yes. So, um, my in-laws have a, a little cabin up on a small lake in Michigan and my husband loves to water ski and he learned to water ski up there. And so this was his opportunity to teach, um, our children how to water ski and they, you know, they tried really hard. Um, they both got up a little bit. I think if they had one more day, uh, they really would have nailed it, but they had fun either way. And they both believe they skied. So we're just <laughs> going to uh, go with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's close enough, you know? Uh, and I love John's, uh, updates, uh, on how the ski school was going. And he said, um, you know, uh, Charlie, uh, got up almost, uh, the, the full way and Lane, so close. <laughs> yes, but she she says she skied and she loved it. So we're just going to go with that. All right, we're sticking to it. And it's time for the decal download quiz. Your chance to win a nice prize by answering a question from today's podcast and your response to decal download at decal.ga.gov. We'll draw one winner from all the correct answers received. Here's the question. What requirement must be met by a child care or after-school program that's interested in participating in the at-risk after-school meals component of the CACFP? Here's a hint. This requirement is provided through child care services. Once again, what requirement must be met by a child care or after-school program interested in participating in the at-risk after-school meals component of the CACFP. Send your answer to decal download at decal.ga.gov. We would love to give you a nice prize. Good luck. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. 
Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs. <laughs>